Hello, I am excited to welcome you to episode four of the Prez Paul podcast, a place for us to engage and hear honest and curious dialogue about Nazareth College and the people who are at the heart of who we are. Nazareth College is full of fascinating people and inspiring perspectives and possibilities. I've been having so much fun exploring this community and I'm excited to share that with you. Through this podcast, I invite you to join in, open your mind to new ideas, enjoy the beauty and wonders of the Nazareth College learning community. Each podcast will be a meaningful conversation that speaks to Nazareth's place in the world. And what a magical time for Nazareth College in our world as we approach our 100 year celebration in 2024. In our last podcast, three wise and inspiring Naz students explored what we're learning from this powerful time of reflection, possibility and change in which we find ourselves today. Nazareth College has an integral role to play in this powerful time of social evolution. We're designed and founded in 1924 to be an active part of ongoing social progress and innovation and to help catalyze a healthier and more just world. I find it deeply inspiring to think about the parallels between the era in which we were founded on the heels of the pandemic of 1918 and the progressive era, and now, nearly 100 years later, again, faced with ground-moving dynamics, a global pandemic, civil division and unabated systemic racism, economic instability, rapid technological invention, and critical environmental challenges. So I constantly think of those gutsy women, a group of Sisters of St. Joseph who founded Nazareth College. And I often ponder what would our founders do now during this current revolutionary time? So today I'm excited, very excited to invite two very insightful Nazareth faculty members to join me in pondering this important question about Nazareth College's vital role in our community, in our world, and the time has never been more important. So today I'm excited to be joined by Dr. Susan Nowak, who is a member of Nazareth's Religious Studies Department and current holder of the William H. Shannon Chair in Catholic Studies, and also Nazareth's 2020 Distinguished Colleague. She served as department chair, has been a board member of the Hickey Center for Interfaith Study and Dialogue since its inception, and she was instrumental in establishing the Konar Center for Tolerance and Jewish Studies. She's deeply committed to fostering learning experiences that prepare our students to be transformative leaders. And as such, she's immersed herself in Holocaust and genocide studies and involved with the March, Bearing Witness to Hope, and Nazareth's civil rights journey, and also our commitment to become an anti-racist campus. A sister of St. Joseph, Susan believes that the charism of Nazareth's founders is at work as the college responds to calls for equity, justice, and solidarity across our nation and around the globe. Dr. Timothy Neeland is a professor of history and political science and the interim director of research, scholarship, and innovation at Nazareth College, where he's also the founding director of the Center for Public History and chair of the Centennial Celebration Commission, which we are soon launching. He has authored numerous books and chapter-length studies on history, politics, and society. In addition to teaching and writing, Dr. Neeland is a frequent guest on local television and radio programs where he provides political analysis on local, state, and national events. 
Susan, Tim, I am so grateful to both of you for joining me today. I am very excited about this conversation. I've been playing it in my head for quite a long time. So let's dig in. Susan, let's start by having you help us understand the mindset and intentions of our founding Sisters of St. Joseph. What were their key values and aims in founding Nazareth College? Thank you, Beth. I am delighted to be here to speak with you and Tim and to find out where our conversation takes us. Um, and I have to, to say right off the bat, we are speaking on January 7th. And so when you ask me that question, I am taken to where my mind and heart and spirit has been for over 24 hours because of the events in January, on January 6th at our Capitol. And our sister's aims and their values back in 1924, I believe support us in addressing what's happening now in 2021. The, the sisters wanted a Nazareth education to speak to marginalized groups. That's why they reached out to women. Women in 1924, as they understood it here in Rochester, the access to higher education wasn't there. And see, they saw access to higher education as re really a vehicle for social transformation. Um, I've been immersing myself in the archives in preparation for this time. And one thing that is very, very clear is while these women were spiritually grounded and you know, members of the Roman Catholic Church, they saw their mission to be that of social transformation. And everything that they talk about in terms of what the student from Nazareth, the graduate should be about was social transformation. As you said, they had 19, they had the pandemic, they had World War I, and they had the economic issues of the time right square in, in their faces. This was their life. The Great Depression is coming. So everything that is uncertain is unfolding. And, you know, not to go into the weeds too much, but there's, there was an economic course that was offered. Now, I want you to bear in mind, an economics course offered for women in 1924, when higher wow. education mostly wanted women to go to higher education to be better wives and better mothers. Nothing negative about that, but the sisters saw that women, that the social status of women was changing and the opportunities had to change. So this economic course mandated that every student had to come up with a special study that dealt with one of the economic and social issues of the time and use their research to figure out how to be change agents in the midst of it. Wow. So, you know, what, I, what I'm seeing is there were lofty ideals, but it was women needed education and the sisters are explicit. They needed intellectual rigor and they needed academic freedom. Something most people thought Roman Catholics would not have in their research. Um, the, the students even talk about knowing that there was antipathy to who they were as graduates. And matter of fact, the, the superintendent of the Rochester schools, because there was a belief that Nazareth graduates would be hampered by 
the uh, Roman Catholic identity at that point in time told the students applying for a job, Nazareth graduates don't bother. That's a direct quote. Mm -hmm. Now, Nazareth graduates were able to prove that there was no such academic limitation, nor was there a stunted social vision at the time. And so the degree programs, the first graduating class, women graduated in education, social work, business, library science, and law. Wow. They were ready for careers. So the aims were, they're very explicit. The aims were to contribute to society and also to the church, but society. Um, they were to enter the business world. They were to enter the civic world. And so the values were ultimately, and one of the sisters put it very, very well, they were to engage in their studies so that they could challenge any political and social theory that subverted, and I quote here, the highest good of the human being. Mm. And that's where I see the direct linkage of 1924 to January 6, 2021. Because what we're seeing in the midst of our country is the playing out of ideologies that do subvert the highest good of the human being. And so as the sister founders came together to prepare for an education, to create an education, they were doing something different for the marginalized women of the time. Nazareth now, the marginalized people of the time needs to be doing something different that upholds the highest good of the human being. Thank you. I, that is that is uh, so moving and especially powerful today in light of recent events. And what an interesting um, story about the economics course and the kind of, of educational experience that they designed for the students. And the parallel now when we have, you know, very similar learning ideals for our students and and certainly significant um, need for those ideals. So Tim, Susan started to paint a picture of the of the societal dynamics when Nazareth was founded. And I think it is striking that there are some very powerful parallels with our, our current time. They're both very palpable times of revolutionary social change. Can you help us understand a little bit more some of those dynamics and what you see as some of the powerful parallels? Sure, absolutely. I, I think there are some strong parallels. I mean, if you think about it, really, the 1920s was an era in which a younger generation attempted to shake off the dead hand of the past and to seize for themselves a new opportunity. You know, they were um, challenging gender constructions of their time at Nazareth College, but but women across the United States were already having uh, finally uh, uh, wrested the right to vote out of the hands exclusively of men in 1920. They were ready to use that vote in order to change society. Um, they were in a society that was, in fact, coming out of the pandemic and coming out of the First World War, was moving towards a much more conservative uh, phase. And yet um, the founders of this uh, college were dedicated to the ideals 
of both academic excellence and experiential learning by going into the community and knowing the needs of that community and serving alongside our community partners. It, they lived in a time in which racial unrest was evident all around them. Uh, there was the rise of the NAACP, the National Urban League, and the great migration out of the South that was going on all around them. And just as today, we see the rise of Black Lives Matter, but those movements were being challenged by the rise of white supremacists, the Klan, which had been reborn because of uh, a movie uh, of 1915, Birth of a Nation, was resurgent. And white supremacists were seizing power across the United States, often um, under the guise of demagogues. Now, I'm certain that people listening to this podcast and knowing what happened on January 6th of this 2020, 2021, I should say, will see that, in fact, we have strong parallels there as well. Um, and Again, they wanted a more just and equitable society for everyone. They themselves were, as uh, Susan has pointed out, a marginalized people. I mean, in 1928, when Al Smith would be the first Catholic candidate for president, he had to face down the Klan and others who said that you know Roman Catholics were not American. And so um, they themselves were stigmatized by their ideology, their reason, and their beliefs. And so I, I, when I look at um, this generation of students that I work with and that Susan works with and that you've come to know, Beth, I see them as picking up the torch that has been laid down by that generation and all subsequent Nazareth generation of students in order to, to continue that work uh, to um, you know, take care of those social injustices as best they can in their lifetime. That's powerful. And, you know, I think of the power of place in this as well, and the significance of Rochester and the greater Rochester area in these movements over time. You know, certainly as you paint that picture back in the 1920s, you know, Rochester was a very important place for civil rights for, you know, certainly the, the suffrage movement had, you know, was very, very central. So I think of the power of place for us, you know, we are an institution that has a global commitment. We are an institution that has a national commitment. And I think a lot of what is happening in our neighborhoods are directly linked to that because of the power of this place that we're in. So I, I find that to be very uh, inspiring and actually giving us an urgent call for the work that we need to do. So here we are. We're in a very powerful time of reflection, possibility, change, uh, for good and for bad. Let's let's be honest about that. It's it's a very unsettling time. I was commenting earlier. I don't know how many times we can use the word unprecedented to describe a time, but here we go again. So we take so seriously our founding commitment to be a proactive partner with our neighbors uh, through our experiential educational mission, which Susan described so well, has been in place since our founding. We are innovating for social progress and social justice. So I think about trying to channel those founders, the founder sisters, and thinking about how they would approach this time. What would the sisters do now? Susan, do you wanna start sharing some ideas with us? Absolutely. You know, at the, at the heart of um, the charism, the spirit, um, that mission that drives, that was driving the founders forward is 
a phrase that people hear me say, which is quarter the city. Mm -hmm. And what quartering the city means is identify the needs. That's why you quarter the city. And in each quarter, you do a very careful assessment, not by yourself, in partnership with the other civic organizations and individuals, and you find out what the needs are. And so I think that the sisters would be telling us that we need to continue to develop curricular and co-curricular programs to meet the needs, but we must find out and identify the needs. So Susan, can I just, let me just um, ask you specifically to talk about, so I think when we hear the word need, we a connotation comes to our mind of insufficiency, weakness, you know, wow. et cetera. And I think sometimes I jump to this word of needy, which I, I really, that's a word I feel very uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. um, because I think when we hear need, we're prompted to think, okay, how do we, how do we put a bandaid on it? Or how do we, and that is not at all what the sisters had in mind. So talk a little bit about, you know, they were, they were approaching this as how do we build capacity in community? How do we, uh, you know, create lasting change at the root of what is creating some of these needs, but it was from a place of proactive leadership and strength. Yes. Can you talk a little bit yes. about that? Um, well, you've just said it all very well. <laughs> so, um, but yes, what, what they, you know, what I, what I believe that they would be saying to us is when you have in the front of your mind that this educational process is to help achieve the highest good of the human being. You need to, it's very clear from the way that they put together the curriculum and the curricular demands that students met was that there was a, a, a looking very clearly at how do we draw upon the intellectual, the cultural, the spiritual, the ethical, capabilities of every person, bring those together in the social setting and build the infrastructure and structures to make it happen. You know, again, to go back to that economics course, to prepare the students to go out and fulfill their um, assignment in this modern economic problems course, they looked at industrial organization, labor and capital, trade unions, transportation systems, and industrial development. And the students looked at that, why? To find out how this wasn't working and how to make it working in concert with everyone else in the society so that it is there for all to enjoy. To find out why some people would not have access to transportation systems. We know what that means today. To find out why industrial development might not lead to proper care of the environment. Why it might mean that certain populations are allowed to live in the midst of pollution. What, what are the ethical 
values that are driving. So it's not at all about needy people who are not fulfilling their social obligations. It is about how is society structured in a yes. way that guarantees particular populations will suffer while others will enjoy the benefits. It's what we face today. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's so powerful. And just the description of, uh, of the learning approach of Nazareth from the very beginning that it was about social action. It, it wasn't a separation of, you know, so often in higher education, you get educated first and then you can go out and, and do some good. That's not what Nazareth is about. Nazareth is an integrated learning experience uh, where that kind of impact is happening as you are learning, as you are a student. And what a powerful, powerful way to, to learn and to be prepared for this life of achieving the highest good of the human being. It's very, very powerful. Tim, what would the sisters do? What are some of your ideas? Yeah, absolutely. I think the sisters would um, be, uh, as you said, they, they were experts and, and academics in the sense of uh, a zeal for excellence. They all went out and pursued uh, PhDs, they themselves to equip themselves to deal with the problems of their day, but also then to roll their sleeves up and to go out in the community. They were of the community. Nazareth College, as you know, was founded in the city of Rochester um, and ran out of room, which is why we're out here in Pittsburgh. But we've always been part of the city. The city is part of us. And so they would be out in the communities with the students, working side by side with community partners in order to achieve greater justice and equity for everyone. And it was something that they gave to the students because this learning experience, being aware of your own privilege, is something that they would definitely want their students to know, just as we want our students to know. Be aware of the skills that you have, but also understand that you have a responsibility to be part of a community and to give back. And I think that's clearly something that if the sisters were here today, they would be reminding us, we are not separate from, this is no ivory tower. This is, we are part of a community that works together and collaborates. And we, you need to be out there engaged with your, your sleeves rolled up. But yes, you also need to have uh, the ability to analyze and understand so that you can change. If I may, Beth, um, I, I love the fact that the sisters talked about wisdom as something that human beings, every human being could possess, but they had a very clear vision of what that wisdom meant. And this again comes from one of the founders. She said, it does not come from college credits. It's not the accumulation. She's very explicit there but it comes from a deepening spiritual insight, the ability to think correctly, the power to weigh values, and the will to direct choice and conduct with integrity and courage. But see, this is what the mm. sisters believed was capable, or the people of Rochester were capable of mm -hmm. as they were, mm -hmm. because an SSJ always knows herself to be one of, mm -hmm. to stand with, mm -hmm. never apart from. You know, this is a blue collar congregation. And there's, 
pride in that. But see, blue collar means the ability for good thinking, the ability for a will that is directed to the common good, the ability to have ethical discernment. This wasn't something that only the elite would do. This is what everyone would do, that people in Rochester were capable of giving to one another and therefore creating a different social fabric. I am so drawn to, to all of this, but I am so drawn to this notion of quartering the city. And I, I keep on thinking about what would it mean for us to quarter the city now? And how would we go about doing that? And I, I take such uh, inspiration from those stories of the earlier experiences and, and also the, the always striving for progress. And once sufficient progress was achieved in certain aspects and capacity was built so that there could be, there could be self-leadership, then it was time to quarter the city again. Yes. So that we were always working toward, um, you know, toward social change that that was long lasting. I, I, maybe you can. I'm sure you can say that much better than I, Susan. But I'm I'm so drawn. I'm so drawn to that. Well, and you know, um, it's part and parcel of the um, congregation that we do not have just one ministry. As a matter of fact, we don't have a ministry that identifies us. What we do is we go with the needs, which demands flexibility, which demands being able to adapt. So once we would find the needs and we would join in the meeting of the needs, once society was then able to recreate and implement this capacity, then we move on. So I think, um, in many ways, I find this both challenging and exciting for Nazareth because it really calls for us to be constantly looking at our mission and rearticulating and then implementing. It calls for curricular and co-curricular flexibility. We have to be willing and able to change so that we can continue to meet the needs. You know, it, it calls us to keep looking at our I think our campus climate and environment, because mm -hmm. does it enable our students to develop fully so that then they can go forth and be the most effective, dynamic change makers that they can be? One of the sisters, founding sisters, what she would tell the students is keep yourself preeminent so that you can best do what you do and then do it fully. Wow. You know, so again, then it, we need to keep creating within ourselves the campus climate environment that enables our students to experience this here so that then they can go forward, not just witness to it, but become the transformers for others. And that's why I think the more we put our efforts into recruiting students of diverse backgrounds and cultures and races and religions and lifestyles, the better we're going to be able to do this, the more effective that our graduates will be. Absolutely. And I, you know, I just think of the power of these times that we're in. I, I think it, it brings that mission that you just described alive in such a, an important and vital way. 
And certainly we've been seeing it in our community as we have been tackling this pandemic uh, in many ways, but also as we've been tackling the the, the pandemic of, of racial injustice and other yes. forms of injustice in our community, in our in our Nazareth community and in our community, with our community. Um, so they're, they're very powerful examples of this. I could continue this conversation forever. Um, this is a, a very, very uh, inspiring conversation for Nazareth, but also just for our times. As a citizen in our times, this is what we need and we are called forth to bring that. Um, so, you know, as we look forward, uh, one of the most exciting things about right now is that we are preparing for this centennial of 2024. And I think it really does call us to, to look back and to re-ground re ourselves in our founding mission. And I think the parallel of the times that, that Tim and, and you have, have, Susan, have talked about so eloquently, I think it, it adds to the, to the power and potential of this time. Um, those parallels are very powerful. So I am really excited, Tim, that you have uh, agreed to chair the soon to be launched Centennial Commission. We're just about ready to let that loose. Uh, and I wonder if you might share some thoughts with us about how we might commemorate this very inspiring milestone. Well, yeah, thank you, Beth. I, I, okay, so take this with a grain of salt because uh, the commission <laughs> is yet to meet and I am of a consensus course, I understand builder. Uh, so, <laughs> but what I would love to see, of course, is a series of events leading up to, to uh, 2024 here on campus, but the year of our, our 100th uh, anniversary, 2024 through 2025, I would love to see us hold a series of symposium in the city of Rochester where people from Nazareth, our students, our faculty, our staff, our alumni gather together to not only reflect on who we've been for 100 years, but to accept the challenge for the next 100 years Absolutely. and to look at those issues that we're talking about today. Uh, you know, injustices, racial injustices, health disparities, economic uh, inequalities, and of course, uh, challenges to our constitutionality. And those are the kind of things that Nazareth College has been doing for 100 years. What are we going to do for the next 100? I would love to see us do that. I would love to see us do it in the community that we belong to um, uh, in, uh, you know, 2024, 2025. So um, if, you know, we can make that happen as a community, and I know we can, I think we'll be stronger for it, and I think it will gear us up to uh, pass the torch to the next generation. Bravo, Tim. Yeah, I think that's very powerful, and I, I love the future focus. Of course, that is how we were founded, with a future focus. And I'm reminded of the fabric that the Sisters of St. Joseph have uh, have have woven in the, the Rochester community, um, you know, many organizations in the Rochester community were formed by Sisters of St. Joseph. And, you know, that is our community. We are not separate from that community as you all have, have eloquently expressed. And so I think a collaborative commemoration of the power of the, the times of our founding, but also a collaborative effort in quartering the city and looking forward and understanding where we are moving next in terms of our forever pursuit of realizing what is the best in humanity. 
And it's, it's such a powerful time for us to be thinking that it's, it's easy right now to feel overwhelmed by all that is happening in our, in our midst. I think if we reground ourselves in the founding mission of what Nazareth is about, we can be empowered by this time. We can realize that the challenge of this time gives us so much more potential for doing good in our world. So it is colleagues like you that make me feel so grateful for being here. And it is also colleagues like you that make me feel so uh, optimistic about the future of this college, but also the future of our society. And so I'm very, very grateful to both of you. I thank you so much for the gift of your insights and expertise today, but also every day. You, you give of yourselves so fully, and I appreciate that so much. So I thank all of you, our listeners, for joining us in exploring the wonders of Nazareth College. I hope you feel as inspired and full-hearted as I do right now. And I hope you'll join me for the next Prez Paul podcast. One of the things we'll be looking at as we uh, move forward in this podcast is the power of music, the power of music at Nazareth College, the power of music in our society. One of the, the most amazing things that has been happening here over the last several months uh, in terms of the ingenuity of our faculty, of our students, of our academic program is the unstoppability of our our core passions and beliefs. And we believe that music plays a really important role in our humanity and in our society. And I think you'll be very moved to hear about uh, some of the ways we've been doing that, but also the why that we've been doing that. So a gift to humanity to inspire us to continue to bring out humanity, uh, which is really, as you've heard today, what we're all about. So thank you, thank you, thank you. This has been an absolute privilege and joy. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. It has been the same for me. Thanks so much to Susan and Tim and all of our listeners for joining us in exploring the wonders of the Nazareth College community. You know, one of the brilliant examples of what we've been talking about today as our founding mission is our work in collaboration with community addressing some of the health challenges that are in our midst right now. We have a wealth of health and human services programs at Nazareth College, and this means we've got students all throughout the city that are partnering with, with citizens, with leaders, with healthcare workers, frontline workers to make a difference in the health and well-being of our citizens. So in the next podcast, we'll dive into this and hear some of the very inspiring stories of this work and the impact on our students and our society. Thank you for listening.